Today is Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av, and that means that we are on our way to the observance of Tisha B'Av. We're in the middle of the three weeks, and uh, I just wanted to address a number of the questions that I've been getting over the past couple of days. Many, many people have been reaching out with all kinds of different questions, and uh, usually from year to year, many of the questions are the same, but this year I found that some of them are a little bit different. One of them that was very interesting that we're going to talk about was um, somebody who donated a kidney a couple of months ago reached out and said that it's not clear whether or not it's safe for him to be fasting. Uh, it seems that there's a dispute in the eight-time um, kidney donors about exactly how to go about fasting and whether or not they should do it. That was one question that came in. Uh, as in every year, there are pregnant women who call and want to know whether or not they should be fasting. Uh, people always call about whether or not they're allowed to use deodorant on a public fast day and um, all kinds of other things. So I wanted to discuss some of this so that we can uh, take care of it. So the Mishnah, the Pasuk writes in Sefer Echa, The Jewish people went into exile, they went into Galus. They were sitting among the nations. They were uncomfortable. Why? Because they were not in their own space. They were not in Eretz Yisrael. And that is where this term, Bein HaMetzorim, comes from, which is the time from Shavasa Batamuz until uh, the end of Tishabab, that is considered to be the time of Bein HaMetzorim. Now the Mishnah writes in Masechah's Tainitz, it's the beginning of Chavav HaMetbeis, the Mishnah there says that five significant events happened on Shavasa Batamuz, and five significant events happened on Tishabab. A little bit related to each other, but not exactly. Number one in Shavasa Batamuz, we are told, Nishtabru HaLuchos, the first significant thing that happened was the Luchos were broken. Number two, Batel HaTamid. Number three, Hufka'a Ha'ir. That is when they uh, broke the walls of the city. Visaraf HaFustumus Es HaTorah. And the fourth thing was that the Torah was burnt. Vehamid Selem Bahechal. And there was a Avodah uh, that was placed inside of the Hechal and the Beis HaMikdash. On Tisha B'av itself, what happened then? So, number one, Nigzar Alavoseinu Shelo Yikansu La'aretz. The whole problem with the Miraglim and the reaction that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had not to allow the Jewish people to go into Eretz Yisrael for the Chet HaMaraglim. That all happened on Tishabab. The first Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. Subsequently, the second Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. Vinilkada Beitar. Beitar was captured. Vinechbashahair. And the city was plowed over. So those are the five things that happened on Tishabab and the five things that happened on Shiva Asabatamas. In fact, in the Sefer Daniel, the Navi writes, Daniel says, in those days, I took upon myself to be misabel, to mourn for three weeks. So the Shibali Haleket writes in the name of Rabbi Sadiagon, what is the Shlosha Shavua Yamim? So he says, I believe what Daniel is referring to is in this time period from Shiva Asabatamas until Tishabav, he took upon himself that he was going to be Miss Abel for Shlosha Shavuim for three weeks. And in that time, he says, There are those who are careful not to eat meat and not to drink wine, as we mentioned in the past. And that is where this all begins. That's what the Shabali Aleka quotes. Now, the Shabali Aleka writes that beyond that, he says, These days are days of seriousness. These days are days of sadness. And therefore, he says, Ein laharbos bahem mine smachos. You should not have big simchas during this time. Now, that doesn't just mean we don't get married. That's a separate takana. But beyond that, the Shibali Aleket says we shouldn't have opportunities where we get together and have major simchas. So somebody wrote to me the other day, they want to have a big, significant birthday party. Would it be appropriate to do that? And it would seem from the contemporary postkin that it's not right to do that. It's not right to have a birthday party. 
On the other hand, if anybody sees me on Monday evening together with my entire extended family, you may ask, I, it's not right to have Simcha. So it's a very good question. The answer is not that my family should run by a different set of rules, but you have to understand what's being done. So next week is my wife's grandparents' 70th wedding anniversary or something like that, or 68th wedding anniversary. Her grandfather's turning 100 years old on uh, Simcha's Torah, Mir Tashem. So uh, they asked me, are they allowed to have a get-together at the time? Because that's when the family members are going to be around to celebrate this uh, birthday or anniversary, whatever it is next week. So I said, whatever you're going to do for a 99-year-old who's cooped up in his house, anything you're going to do to get family together and to give the person an opportunity to lift their spirits is already a Dvar Mitzvah. I don't see that as a Simchas Mareis. I don't see that as, obviously, it's exciting, it's nice to get together, but more importantly, we should really be doing this every day of the year. It shouldn't just be reserved for anniversaries. It should be if you have a 99-year-old grandfather and he needs people to come visit, obviously the family comes all the time, but there's nothing that would give him more pleasure than to see the entire family coming together. So I said, I think, although it is a simcha when an extended family comes together, I think given the context of why we're doing it, I think it is something that actually would be very appropriate. When we speak about a fast day in general, obviously Tishabab, as we're about to observe, the Mishnabur writes something very important. The Mishnabur says, when he describes what exactly is supposed to be the mindset of somebody who goes through a tainus, he says the whole objective, what we're trying to get out of a tainus is not that we should be able to make it through without breaking the fast. And it's not that we should sit on the floor and say kinus. All of that, of course, we need to do. But beyond that, says the Mishnabura, it's Kedei Le'orer Halavavos Le'fakeach HaDarkei HaTshuva. The whole objective here really is to open and stir our hearts and minds to think about Shuva. And when a person is in a state where they're not eating and they're not indulging and they're not showering and they're not doing all the other things that we otherwise would do to take care of ourselves on a regular day, it leaves you more space to be able to think about things that are very important, like Shuva. Now, of course, the Mishnah says, Shuv yom echa sascha. We should always do tshuva every day because we never know when the yom lefnei sascha is going to be. So we should always do tshuva, but unfortunately we lead busy lives and we don't think about tshuva so often. Says the Mishnah Bura, the point of having a public fast day is that we should have the opportunity to think about tshuva. We should remind ourselves of the mistakes that we have made in our own lives. The same things that were going on in the days of our ancestors are the things that are going on today as well. I was just recently talking to my father about a, uh, a very troubling allegation that somebody had made, and uh, the question was some kind of impropriety, and the question was, you know, how are we supposed to deal with this? What should we do? How do you do it in a sensitive way? So we had therapists involved, and different rabbanim were getting involved. So I was talking out with my father, and he said, look, if the Torah describes that this Avera exists, it means that there were people in the days of the Chumash, in the days of Moshe Rabbeinu, that did that also. So it's not a new problem. The problems that you see today, and you think they're so insurmountable, and you think they're so terrible, and they are. Let's not minimize. They are. But realize, these are the same problems that our ancestors used to struggle with. These are the same kinds of issues that we've been dealing with for many, many years. And says the Mishnah Bura, it would seem that we have not yet taken care of these problems, because we see... There are still issues in our community. So therefore, he writes, we should think on Tishabav about the things that we personally seem to have a problem with, and that should bring us back to the memories of things that earlier generations had issues with as well. And then he writes, When he's looking at Ninveh, 
he, reward, he reminded them that they were about to be destroyed. And what does he say? Vayar Hashem es ma'asehem. What do you mean he saw their ma'asehem? He saw what they did. Don't we know that Ninveh fasted? So it says, right, the Mishnah Brura. It doesn't say that HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw Ta'anisam. It says that he saw ma'asehem. What does ma'asehem mean? Not just the act of sitting on the floor and the act of putting on sackcloth and the act of fasting. Beyond that, they changed their ways. And that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw. And therefore, says the Mishnah Brura, that is something that is a very important focus. The tainus really is made to be in some way a way to direct us to tshuva lachain. And therefore he says, Those people who on the day of a fast say, Oh, well, I'm off anyway, or I'm not as busy anyway, so let me go for a nice trip. Let's go to a museum to pass the time. Says the Mishnah that would not be really something that would make sense. He says they're holding on to that which is less important and they're forgetting about that which is really the focus of the day. The focus of the day needs to be not sitting on the floor and not saying the kinos and not taking off our shoes. The focus needs to be on a mindset, on a thought that we're all supposed to have. So that's number one. Aside from that point that the Mishnah Bura writes, Tosus writes in Masechah's Megillah, why is it that we say maftir by Atainus and not by mincha and not by shachris? We know that we lane in the morning by a tinus tibur and we lane in the afternoon as well. So why do we lane on a tinus tibur in the afternoon? He says, because we read the Pasuk, Shimru Mishpat Vasut Stakat, a Pasuk in the Navi Yeshaya. That's the special Haftarah for a tinus tibur. So he says, the whole point, the whole objective of a tinus is that we should give staka. We should feel how painful it is to be hungry. And that should spur us to want to help all the Aniyim that are hungry every day of their lives. Not just hungry on a day that is designated to fast, but on a regular day, they don't know where they're going to feed themselves. So therefore, we read this Pasuk that says, Shimru Mishpat Vasut Staka, because the second objective on every public fast day is that we're supposed to think about giving Staka. And that's what the Gemara says in Brachos, that whenever we uh, go through a public fast day, the schar that we get is based on the amount of Staka that we think about during the day of, um, of whatever it is that we're commemorating. So let's speak about some of the common shadows that have been coming up. Number one, it happens every year, not usually not on Tisha B'Av, but it happens every year whenever there's a public fast day. Somebody wakes up in the morning, makes themselves a coffee, totally forgot that it's Shabbos or Batamas, totally forgot that it's Asar Bateves, maybe they forgot that it's Tisha B'Av. This is part of the routine. And they have now broken the fast before the fast even starts or right in the morning before anything happened. So the question then becomes, what do you do? People mistakenly think that once you broke the fast, it is over. That is a mistake. The Mishnah Brewer writes very explicitly, Somebody who mistakenly eats on a public fast day, even though you already ate and you would say, well, what good is it for me to continue fasting? Says the Mishnah Bura, that is the wrong approach. You're supposed to continue on fasting. You made a mistake. You did something you shouldn't have done. But says the Mishnah Bura, you should continue on fasting. And the mashal that he gives is, If somebody has just eaten um, a piece of garlic. So as we know, you don't like to talk to people that just ate something very spicy. Their breath is not going to smell great. So what's the way to get rid of it? You should take mouthwash to get rid of the bad smell. You shouldn't take another piece of garlic. That's only going to make your smell even worse. So says the Mishnabura, if I ate already and I made a mistake, so I did something wrong. So what are you going to tell me? Go eat some more and do something else wrong? That wouldn't be appropriate. And says the Mishnabura, we should continue on fasting. Many people ask about the use of deodorant especially during the fast days in the summer when it's very hot and it's sweaty and it's uh, summertime 
Is this something that we would allow? Rabbi Moshe Feinstein is quoted by his Talmidim as saying that you are allowed to use deodorant on a public fast day. Why? So he said, because it is the same way on a public fast day, I'm allowed to use some kind of, if I have a uh, open wound, so I'm allowed to put antibiotic cream on it to make sure I don't get infected, so too over here. The reason, says Ramosha, well, why we're wearing the deodorant is not because we're trying to beautify ourselves, it's not because we want to smell so good, but rather, he says, the reason we're doing it is because it's similar to refuah. I don't want to sweat, I don't want to smell when I sweat, and therefore it says, um, in the name of Rabbi Shlomo Zaman Arbach, he said this as well, that you would be allowed to put on a deodorant that is made to protect you from being very hot and very sweaty and perhaps perspiring uh, during a very hot summer day. So that would be something that would be permissible. That's what Moshe writes and Rabbi Shlomo Zaman writes the same. We know the Chai Adam, as quoted in the Mishnabura, says that somebody who is a chole, she'en bo sakana, is not allowed, is not obligated to fast on Tishabav. Tishabav is only Midirabanan, Yom Kippur is the Araiso, so that would be different. But a Chola She'ein Mosakana would not have an obligation to fast on Tishabav. My father pointed out that um, they made a Kinos from the Rav, and there's some kind of section there with Halachos that they compiled from different Shiurim of the Rav. My father said he was not consulted before it came out, he wasn't shown this, and he said when he first saw it, he happened to have been in South Africa at the time. And this man who he was staying by wanted to show him how up-to-date he is in South Africa. So he showed my father, look, I already have the new book. My father himself hadn't even seen it yet. The Rav's Kinnus. So uh, my father started looking through and he said just on the first two pages alone, where they quoted the halachas from the Rav, he found four or five mistakes already. One of the mistakes was that Rav Soloveitchik said in the Shir, which was not halacha lemaiser. Rav Soloveitchik was quoting Rabbeinu Tam, who we don't paskin like. But Rav Salavechik once said in the Shir that the only person who's allowed to eat on Tishabav is a chole sheyesh bo sakana. And that is quoted in the kinos that they printed from Rav Salavechik, and that is a mistake. It's not true. The Mishnah Brewer quotes from the Chayyadam. Again, there are Rishonim who say that, but we don't accept their opinion. The opinion that is accepted is that of the Mishnah Brewer, which says that a chole she'en bo sakana, even if he's not going to be deathly sick, but a chole she'en bo sakana would be allowed to eat on a public fast day. Now, how do you define a Cholosh Ha'en Sakana? So we look to Hilchah Shabbos, where a Cholosh Sakana is also discussed. And in Hilchah Shabbos, a Cholosh Sakana is described as one who is mutala mishkav, somebody who is so uncomfortable because of the state that they're in, that as a result of that, they are bedridden. So does that mean that anyone who's bedridden, or only if you're bedridden, that is called a Cholosh Sakana? The answer my father usually says is, the Shulchan Aruch is just giving an example. Somebody who's bedridden means he's not able to function normally. And therefore we would say you're in the category of a Cholosh HaSakana. Now on a public fast day, you don't work at your full capacity. You're not going to be as strong as you normally are. So then we should say everybody is a Cholosh HaSakana. It's not what it means. It means somebody who is worse than the average person who is going to be fasting today. We would say you are considered to be a Cholosh HaSakana if you can't function in the normal way that most people fasting would. And we would say that that would be something that would allow you to eat on a fast day. So much so that the Mishnah Brewer writes that if a Cholosh Emes HaKana chooses to fast, he is doing the wrong thing. And that's what my father said. Obviously, if you have somebody who donated a kidney and the doctors are concerned in the beginning stages of that donation that maybe he should not fast, my father said he would certainly be a Cholosh Emes HaKana or potentially he could come to that state and we would say he should not uh, fast and he should go ahead and uh, eat normally on the day of the Tainus. I have the question that was raised by many of the Yachad staff members throughout the country that are running different programs. They want to know they're taking care of special needs individuals, and the problem is it's very hot outside, wherever they are, 
and they can't just take off the day. Somebody has to take care of these um, campers that they're looking after. So what exactly should they be doing? How can they eat? We have the same Shaila every time on um, in Camp Simcha, where you have counselors who are taking care of sick children, and they can't just take off for the day. So what should he do on Shiva Sabatamas, and what should he do on Tisha B'av? Rav Moshe Feinstein writes in a tshuva the following. He says, If a person is doing Melech shamayim, says Rav Moshe, you're allowed to do your work, even though you know from the outset that by running around with your camper outside and by taking care of them the whole day, you're not going to be able to fast. It's just simply too hot. Says Rav Moshe, since you're doing Melech shamayim, not a problem at all. Even though I know that if I would take off for the day, I would be able to fast. I'm a healthy person. But still, Ramosha says, you're not mechuyiv to find somebody else to fill in for you. In order to be able to take care of this child, you're allowed to do your normal thing. And if that means that you're going to have to break your fast, Ramosha says, that is okay. Ramosha then goes even further and he says, it was sachar eitz what if I'm not looking after a sick child in camp? What if what I'm doing is, I have a malechas harashus, I'm a doctor. A doctor is not a malechas harashus, a doctor is malechas mitzvah. But let's say I'm a lawyer. The work that a lawyer does on an average day in the office is not malechas shamayim. He's not looking over uh, documents that are going to be printed in svarim. Usually a lawyer is doing other things. So that's called malechas harashus. Now he has a right to go to the office in general because he has to make a parnasa. But what would you say? If he has to show up in the office, his boss won't give him off on uh, one of the public fast days. And I know as a result of my sitting in the office and concentrating, I'm going to have to eat something because I'm not going to be able to work. Says Ramosha, who if I'm causing the owner to lose money because I'm going to take off for the day, then he says, you have to go to the office, even if it means that you may have to eat. Of course, if I stayed home in an air-conditioned room, laying on my bed the whole day, I'd be okay. But because I'm going into the office, I'm not going to be okay. And then it turns out maybe I'm going to have to eat. Says Ramosha, that would be a good enough reason for a person to go. Now, I just want to qualify Ramosha's statement. If you have vacation days and you choose not to spend them, and instead you're going to go into the office and say, well, I have to go into the office because I don't want them to lose money, that doesn't work all the time. That's something that you're making a decision to do. Ramosha is talking about a case where somebody's relying on you. It's tax season and you're almost finished with a project and there's nobody else who can do it. And you can't just take off for no good reason. You're going to make the company lose money. That would be an example where we would say, you certainly should go ahead and uh, go to work. And if it means that you're going to have to eat, then that's what you do. What about taking medications? So we know that uh, the post of our generation have generally said that medications are not considered to be food. We don't say achshavei. We don't say that just because you... Uh, ingest medication, therefore it becomes like an article of food. We don't say that at all. And therefore we would assume that this would be something that would be allowed, even, even if you're going to have to take it with water or some other drink in order to take the medication to take it down, that would be something that would be okay. And Rabbi points out, you don't have to put mouthwash into the water when you drink it. You can drink the water because the only reason you're drinking this is in order to be able to take down the pill. You are not taking it in a way that is meant to break the fast. What about a woman who is pregnant or is nursing? That is the question that is asked every single year. So the Ramah writes that a woman who is pregnant and nursing does not have a strict obligation to fast, but rather he says, The minig is that women who are pregnant and nursing have taken upon themselves to fast. However, says the Ramah, that is the minag on Gimot Somos Halalu, on Shivasa Batamuz, on Asar Bateves, and on Tain, um, 
Tzom Gedalia. What about on Tishabav? What about on Tishabav? Says the Ramah, on Tishabav, Michuyavos Tahashlim. On Tishabav, a woman who is pregnant or nursing has an obligation to fast. Now, if you go to the doctor and the doctor will tell you for whatever reason it's dangerous for you to fast, then of course you shouldn't fast, just like anybody else who goes to the doctor and is told that it's dangerous. But we have a resident OBGYN here. You tell us, is it dangerous for a woman to fast when she's pregnant or nursing? Right. So yeah. So you really have to consult. You really have to consult with your right with your own practitioner and find out whether it's healthy for you to fast. But we don't just say a blanket heter that every woman who's pregnant and nursing should not fast. And a woman who reached out to me yesterday and said, you know, I'm um, I'm nursing. And uh, as a result of the fasting, I'm not going to produce as much milk, and therefore I'm not able to fast. What does that mean? Of course you're not going to produce as much milk. So you should take care of it another way. Either use formula, even if you don't normally like to use formula, but there is such a possibility of using formula, or use a pump to manually express milk before and then use it. This is not the first person who has ever fasted for a day who is also nursing a child. The Shulchan Aruch assumes that a woman who's pregnant or who is nursing has an obligation to fast. Somebody else reached out to me today. I really don't understand the question. This person wrote to me that um, they just came home from vacation yesterday. They didn't realize that it was already Rosh Chodesh last night and they didn't do any of the laundry. And it's really going to bother them very much if they have laundry piled up for the next nine days and they're not sure what to do. I said, what you're supposed to do is not do your laundry. Exactly what the Shulchan Aruch says. Or plan your vacation a little more carefully next time. Now, if you don't have clothing to wear then you do the laundry because it's better to do the laundry than to go out and have to buy new clothing from the store in order to, in order to wear something over the next nine days. But she said she has plenty of clothing. It's just going to bother her that there's a big pile of laundry. Yeah, it bothers all of us that there's piles of laundry. What can you do? I said nine days a year to think about Churban Beis Hamikdash and have a pile of laundry in your house. Not so bad. You'll be okay. Anyway, that was with regard to that. What about Kitanim? Generally, we assume there's no Chinuch for Avelis. That's generally the rule that we say in... Um, over here, a katan sheyodeya lihisabel, a katan who understands what it means to have churban beis hamikdash. The Magen Avram writes, even though they eat on Tishabav, still Magen Avram says, if they're old enough and mature enough to understand what Tishabav is about, we should try not to give them ice cream and pizza and all these exciting things on Tishabav. We should leave it to lechem and mayim. What does lechem and mayim mean? It doesn't mean you have to give them salt and water. It doesn't mean you have to give them one piece of bread. It means we should show them. We should show them in some practical way that today is Tisha B'av and it's something very significant. There's a very fascinating comment of Reb Shlomo Zaman Erbach where he writes that he's heard many times that people have a minhag, people have a custom in their families that three fasts before uh, somebody becomes a barabas mitzvah, they're supposed to already begin to fast then. Shlomo Zaman writes that he thinks this is a mistake and this is something that has no basis in halacha at all. He says there is no source for this halacha, there is no reason for this custom. Now, I would have said the reason is in order to be mechanechem, the same way we're mechanechem to shake lulav and to daven and to bench and to do all the things that we are mechanech someone to do before their barabas mitzvah, so too I would have said this. Barab Shlomo Zalman says he thinks that this is a complete mistake. And then he writes something interesting. He said, Gimel dvarim hurgulu rabim la'asosam gimel pa'amim ve'elam yisod shalmamish al pi halacha. There are three things that everybody does three times. And you should know that in all three of these instances, there is no source in halacha. What are the three things? Number one, there's an old saying 
that in order to take a Sefer Torah from one place to another, you have to at least read it three times. Shlomo Zalman says, I've never seen any source for this halacha. I have no idea what it's based on, and the whole thing is a mistake. If you need a Sefer Torah, and you're now having a Shiva minion in someone's house, so you take the Sefer Torah from Shul, and you bring it to the person's house, even if you're not going to lay it from it three times. So he says, that's number one. Number two, he says, this notion that we have a katan fast, three fasts before the bar mitzvah, he says, I don't know where that came from. And number three, he says, the Shulchan Aruch says, quoting Gemara Brachos, that before you daven, you're supposed to, hikon likras elokecha Yisrael, you're supposed to wash your hands before you daven to show that you're preparing yourself for the tefillah. So he says, there are those who go outside to wash their hands before the tefillah, and they take a cup, and they wash three times. So he said, why are they washing three times? In the morning, some wash three times, ruach ra. But he said, when the Gemara talks about washing for tefillah, there's nothing to do with three times. It's just, you're supposed to show that you are preparing to daven. So Shlomo Zalman puts these three things together and he says, all three of them have no source in halacha. Number one, washing three times before you daven. Number two, fasting three times before a public fast day. And number three, before somebody becomes bar mitzvah. And number three, he says, reading from a Sefer Torah three times in order to take it from one place to another. What about somebody who has to eat on a public fast day? Shlomo Zalman has a very big chiddish in the halicha Shlomo. He writes, even if you know from the outset that you're not feeling well and you're not going to be fasting on Tisha B'av, still, Rabbi Shlomo Zalman writes, you have to eat the Sudam Afsekas before Tisha B'av. Why? Because the minig has developed that by the Sudam Afsekas, we do different things that express our sense of mourning and Avela. So we eat uh, an egg, we do other things that an Avela will do, and he says, that is a minhag that even somebody who's not fasting should do. I told this to my father today, and he thought it was a tremendous chiddish. He didn't agree with Rabbi Shlomo Zalman. He thought it was very surprising. The simple shot is that a sudam of sekas is to prepare somebody for the upcoming fast. While we're eating that sudam of sekas, so we throw in a couple of things for our velas, but the whole point of the sudam of sekas really is just to be able to prepare ourselves. The Aruch HaShulchan writes that somebody who is going to be um, eating on Tisha B'av does not have to worry about shiurim. You don't have to sit and measure how much you're eating and how little. If you have to eat, you're allowed to eat, and that is something that would not require a person to uh, start Measuring. However, the Shulchan Aruch writes, Roy, even if you're going to have somebody who's not well and is going to have to eat, Roy You shouldn't go make a barbecue and have uh, ice cream and all kinds of that would be gossip anyway. But you shouldn't have all kinds of exciting things. If you're going to have to eat on a tiny sibur, you should do it in a sensitive way. You should remind yourself that the rest of the world is fasting. A very common question that comes up is, what if somebody is going to be flying um, east? on Tishabav or on Shavasa where the fast is going to become shorter. If you're going to be flying west, the fast is going to become longer and longer. So Yachad actually had went for their program in Eretz Yisrael, Yad Biyad, they mistakenly made the scheduled time for their departure on Shavasa Now I said, it's good because it means you're going to be fasting less as you continue to go east. The problem is it didn't work that way. What? It didn't save much time. The way they scheduled it, I said, you should have scheduled to leave early in the morning, and then you would have really skipped the whole Shavas of Atamas. That would have made it very easy. Is that true? Does it really work that way? Rabbi Moshe Feinstein writes in a tshuva, yes. And here's very interesting. He says, what happens when somebody has a Shinoi Hayom Ben Hamadinos, when I have a different time that the sun is going to set based on where I am and based on where I left from, with an Asiyah airplane, he says, sometimes it's going to make it longer and sometimes it's going to make it shorter depending on which way you're flying. So he says, Kashe Lahashib Bazet. Ramosha admits to the fact that it's hard for me to give an answer to this question. Why is it hard? Ki ein alzeh mikorim mamashim b'divrei rabbaseinu. 
because nobody ever imagined such a possibility. So where am I going to look for the answer? The Gemara is going to tell us what to do when somehow you're going to chop out hours of a fast day? How can the Gemara have imagined such a thing? So he says, where should I look? The Shulchan Aruch didn't have an airplane. Shulchan Aruch maybe imagined that somebody can go quickly, but he, I don't, there weren't trains then either. 1500s, there were no trains, I don't think. So there was no possibility for such a thing. So he says, where am I supposed to look? So he says, He said, all I can tell you is what my feeling is. And he writes, my feeling is that it depends on where you are currently. And that means wherever you find yourself at the end of the fast, that is what it's based on. And he says, there is no halacha that you have to have 24 hours of a fast day on Tisha B'av. The halacha is from sundown to sundown is when you're supposed to fast. And therefore, if somehow you figured out how to get around the system and you're going to make sundown earlier than it otherwise would have been, says Rav Moshe, that would be something that would be okay, even on Tisha B'av, not just on Shabbat Sabbatamos and Asar B'tavis. Now, that being said, Rav Moshe then talks about um, the following possibility. I'm sorry, Shlomo Zalman Arabach, I saw in the Halicha Shlomo as well. What about somebody taking a flight on Tisha B'av itself? So there are many people who are afraid to fly during the nine days. Is there a reason to be afraid to fly during the nine days? So the Gemara tells us that we assume during the nine days, it's Reya Mazle. We assume that people have not as great mazal as they have during the year. And therefore, the Gemara says, if you have a din bahadi nachri, if you're going to have a Jew versus a non-Jew who have to go to court, so the Gemara says you should try to push it off till after Tisha B'av. Magad Avram writes, not just till after Tisha B'av, he says till after Chodesh B'av. The whole month of Av is just a bad time. So if you're able to, you should push it off till Chodesh Elul. Did anybody see last week? There was a, uh, unfortunately, a Jew who was being prosecuted by New York State for uh, terrible, terrible, heinous crimes against young children. And um, he got up at the scheduled hearing last week. Ari, you saw this? He got up at the scheduled hearing last week. It was amazing. And he argued with the judge that this is a very auspicious time of the calendar and therefore he wants to push off the hearing for uh, later on because right now this is a very important time in the Jewish calendar. And the judge responds, this is all in the minutes of the court. It's amazing. So the judge responds to him and he says, I grew up in Brooklyn and I have many Jewish um, colleagues, and I have many people who worked under me who were Orthodox, and he said, I've heard about the high holidays, and I've heard about, you know, Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot, and everything else, and leaving early on Shabbos, and the winter, and the summer, and everything, but he said, I've never heard of auspicious days in the middle of July. What are you talking about? So he says, well, it's considered to be, ba- he fights back and forth, back and forth, and the judge wouldn't have it, and he basically says, like, I'm sorry, we're going ahead with this, and your excuse is not accepted. Now, it's a very horrible way to use the Gemara. It's true. It's a bad mazel, but you deserve to have bad mazel when you are a child molester. You should be thrown in jail. This is the perfect time to prosecute such a person. We should get the person off the streets as soon and as quickly as possible. So that really was a little bit embarrassing last week that he used that. But Rabbi David Feinstein writes in his Sefer, you can't use this excuse if you have a Jew who's suing you. You can't say, oh, I have bad mazel during Av and therefore I'm not going to go to a Din Torah with you. What do you mean? He has the same bad mazel that you have. You have a Din Torah, you have to work it out. The whole Gemara here is only saying that if I have a court case that is scheduled against the Nachri, so then we would say it's not the greatest of Mazel for me to go and have the court case during this time of the year. If we could be pushed off, then we do. If it can't be pushed off, then you don't. So that would be something that is very um, important to think about. But based on that, there are those who say that since the nine days is a very dangerous time, therefore they shouldn't fly. Um, Rabbi Shlomo Zalman writes, and uh, other Gedolim write the same thing, that if it's in any way going to be the Tzarech Mitzvah, 
it would be permissible to fly and there's nothing to be concerned about at all. So for example, if somebody has, it just works out on the calendar, they live in a different state, a different country, and they're able to do the mitzvah of kibbut Ava'im by flying to their parents during the nine days. He says there should be no hesitation to go to the other side of the world to visit my parents during the nine days because I'm doing the mitzvah of kibbut Ava'im. For that matter, he says, Nesiyah Le'eretz Yisrael. I remember one year, whenever, however the calendar turned out, I was only able to fly to Eretz Yisrael during the nine days. And I asked my father, should I abstain, you know, should I not go? And he said, no, the mitzvah of going to Eretz Yisrael is a good enough uh, threshold, it's a high enough mitzvah to say that you're allowed to go even during the nine days and there should be no concern at all. And Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Arabach adds, and this is the shy that I got this year, there's someone in our community who wants to fly to Eretz Yisrael on Tisha B'Av night after Kinos. You're going also? After Chatzos, the next day. Ah, so this family is going, they're going to daven in shul at night and then they have the midnight flight uh, from JFK to Eretz Yisrael. So they wanted to know, are they allowed to do that? Just the way the work schedule turned out, this would make it much more convenient for them to go to Eretz Yisrael for an extra day. I think Tisha B'Av, if they leave Thursday night, it's too close to Shabbos, so they wanted to leave Wednesday night after they go to Shul. So I told them that Shlomo Zalman Arbach writes, even Tisha B'Av Atzmo, even if you're going to fly to Eretz Yisrael on Tisha B'Av itself, that would be permissible as well. One final thought that I've gotten a lot of questions about, and that is, usually we say that Tisha B'Av in some way lingers on past the ninth of Av, we assume that it goes into the 10th day of Av as well. And generally, the minute has developed that we don't only hold back from doing things during the nine days, we hold back even until Chatzos of Yud Av. That's generally what we do. This year, the post can say that when Tisha B'Av falls out on a Thursday, and the end of Tisha B'Av is going to be Erev Shabbos, and Yud Av, if we're going to have to wait until Friday afternoon to start doing the laundry, and to start preparing, and to start doing all the things that we like to do, and cutting our nails, and getting haircuts, that would be something that is going to get in the way of our covet Shabbos, of our observance of Shabbos. And therefore, the post can say, this would be something that generally we would assume is permissible. Kitzur Shulchan Aruch is machmir. I assume the reason why the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch is machmir is because, I don't know, but maybe they didn't use as much laundry as we do today. Did they change their clothing as often as we do in the days of the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch? Probably not. Did they shower as often as we do? Did they cut their nails and get haircuts as much? No. We are used to a very different set of rules today. We live very different lives than the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch lived, and that's why many of the contemporary poskim today say that if you have a situation like we have this year where Tisha B'Av falls on a Thursday, we would assume that you're already allowed to do the laundry on Thursday evening, Friday morning, because that is something that would get in the way of our Onik Shabbos, of our observance of Shabbos, if we wouldn't tend to those needs earlier than after Chatzos on Friday afternoon. Okay, it's a